All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 83. Same day, we're continuing on to have a chat about college football, or as they say, university football in Canada. So, good day and uh, bonjour, madame et monsieur. Uh, we're not going to go too far into that, but I could not resist. So, we're going to be joined. I can see our guest is here now. So, I'm going to go ahead and invite him up. So, we're going to be talking about sports in Canada, but specifically college football, which has been going on for, for many years. And it's something that we at RCFB have always enjoyed paying attention to, because in addition to FBS football, P5 football, we like all levels. And what's going on with you sports has been something that we find quite interesting. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing well, thank you. It's my first time doing anything like this on Twitter Speak, so I'm a bit nervous here, you know. First time, first time I've podcasted live in the big leagues now. <laughs> yeah, I know, and it's kind of a funny format, because that's exactly what it is. It's like a live podcast format. It's something we've enjoyed. It lets us bring in callers, and by the way, everyone, if you have questions as we're going along, please just hit request. We'd love to have you if you have questions for Paul about U sports and, and football in Canada. So, Paul, as some of you might have guessed, is a Scotsman who now writes about Canadian sports <laughs> with a bit of soccer, but also football, or football and also football. And it's something that we've been really looking forward uh, to talking to you about. I guess, you know, my first question is this, and this is something I think you'd actually have a better understanding. I mean, you can explain as well as, as anyone. By the way, the, the side humor is I was, you know, I, I grew up in the United States. I was, you know, from age three to... 18, I served 15 years in Bakersfield and, and, and moved out to Minnesota eventually. But I was actually born in Toronto. So <laughs> no, the two of us are actually technically the most... Look at us. <laughs> Look at us turning the world upside down. Yeah, you know, uh, dogs and cats living together. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, so in Canada, they, the term tends to be university football rather than college football. Why is that? It's, um, they call them different things here. Universities are... Outside looking in, it seems like college and university are kind of more interchangeable terms in the US. Whereas like I know in the UK, they're much more different things. I believe it's the same in um, Canada as well. When it comes to football as well, when university sports, it tends to be like, like there's only about 27 schools that do it. And it's like the bigger schools. So you wouldn't really get like a small college in like Manitoba or something having like a U sports football team or something. <laughs> Absolutely. I know, you know, it's so funny too. Growing up, I had a, a parent even tell me like, well, you know, basically college tends to, in their mind, was almost like a boarding high school in some ways. So yeah, yeah. It's like an in-between. Yeah. So let's see here. You know, how did you get into, how did you get into it yourself? Yeah, that's, that, I can see how that'd be a very interesting question given my background. Um, so from the ages of about 14 or 15 is when I started getting into NFL. It's when I got exposed to it in the UK. And so for the longest time, I was like NFL obsessed and NFL only when it came to the sport. And then about four years ago, 2018, I took the plunge and moved to Canada. And I'm like, oh, you guys do the sport as well. So um, then I got interested in the CFL. So it became NFL and CFL and over the last year or so, I've been involved with a site called 13 Man Sports. We write articles, all things Canadian sports. And there's a couple of guys involved in that who are really big into Canadian college football. And it just kind of came from that. It kind of like got my interest picked up from there. 
last year after the pandemic, the sport came back after a year off and I started paying attention to the playoffs as it got towards the end. And then for this year, I've just kind of got myself more and more interested in it because I thought this is something I find interesting. I just love the sport, especially living in Canada. I want to like follow it in Canada as much as I can. And there's only nine CFL teams, so this gives you an idea of seeing the sport like much more wide in places like I never thought it existed beforehand. And I've had a, I've had a lot of fun doing it. So, you know, I know there's 27, I believe there's 27 current U sports university football teams. Mm-hmm. How how does U sports work in general? I mean, because obviously for a lot of people from the United States, the NCAA is the usual thing we think of, or, or for some, the NAIA. How is U sports structured? So, yeah, I know in America you guys have different divisions, like Division 2, Division 3. When, um, when it comes to football and U sports, they're separated by region or province depending on the size so we have the OUA Ontario University Athletics that's Ontario teams the AUS is um, Atlantic University Sports that's teams based in the Maritimes like Nova Scotia New Brunswick with one exception which I'll get to in a second we have the RSEQ which is the Quebec region so that's teams from like Montreal and and Quebec City etc and then we have Canada West, which is just a behemoth when it comes to size. That's British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, basically like a third of Canada at that point. These teams will compete in these um in these conferences. And um the winner the there's playoff formats. The winners of the winners of each conference will then meet in a national semi-final and then to a final, sort of like you can Get it, you can get it from there. It's all funneled towards that. So, um, like, yeah, I know that playoffs are a relatively new thing in terms of the NCAA, in terms of having national semifinals. But in Canada, it's something that they've always had for the longest time because they conveniently have those um, four conferences. Yeah, it's definitely something that many of us think was needed. <laughs> yeah. In NCAA football, especially top level. The lower divisions added it, you know, a little while ago, but at least on the biggest names, certainly – Certainly not. So the the season, how many games typically is in a U sports season? There will be eight. Ga- there will be eight games. So depending on the size of the conference, it's home and away, or it's just random. Like for example, not every team in the OUA will play every team they come up against every year. Like this year, for example, York have been um, spared from having to play Western, which um, which which would be the most lopsided game I think in um, Canadian history. The way the season's going right now, so that's good for them. The... Yeah, York's been getting absolutely slaughtered. I think I saw a score that almost made our um, weekly <laughs> – we do a weekly Cobra Kai award for the most <laughs> merciless game. And there was a York score, and I can't remember who it was against, but I, I just remembered York was at the receiving end of it. Yeah, and incredibly enough, York managed to get a win this season as well on a technicality because um, McMaster fielded an ineligible player. So, um, you know, there's hope for everybody in this world if York can get a win. But um, the, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's um, it's an eight. It's um, they play eight games. Last year they played six, and because of you know COVID, it was a bit truncated. But usually it's eight. Then then they go into the playoffs. The one exception is because of the size of the OUA, they actually have an extra round of playoffs. And the OUA, they have six teams reach the playoffs with the top two getting a bye. So. For example, as that would stand right now, Western and Queens would be the teams getting a bye. Ottawa, Carlton, 
Laurie, Laurier and Windsor would be competing initially in the quarterfinals to then move on. And um, every other league, it's um, semi-finals and then a final. So there's just that one extra game in OUA, and they all sort of like play to match up with each other. So it's not like OUA is like waiting another week and ever has got a we got to wait for them to catch up or anything. It's pretty streams like like that. The season will go on from September and October, with um, playoffs kind of happening in November time. With the Vanier Cup, which is what the um, national championship that takes place sometime around mid or about mid November. You know, by the way, I just looked up that game, and I think it wasn't a high score; it was just a funny score because McMaster and York, as we said, the game ended up going to York because of an ineligible player, which. I would actually, I should get to that right after this, but you know, the final score, well, the team scored 40 points between them, but Mc, McMaster scored 39 of the points, that which I assume right. means York had a rouge. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. I guess that's something I should, um, I should go on to explain as well. So, um, might as well, let's hit rouge. Tell us about the rouge. I love the rouge just because it's kind of pointless, but somehow amazing. <laughs> the rouge is basically, it's to encourage teams to like, basically run with the ball from punts and from punts and kick returns if the ball is um if you take the ball and you take a knee basically in the ground or the ball is stopped dead in the end zone so like it's got to if the ball stopped dead in the end zone it's a rouge and this can happen on field goals as well so like, you've had examples in canada like say the score is 14 each a team lines up for a field goal even if they miss the field goal you got to get that ball out of your end zone because if you're tackled or the ball is, or the play is de- called dead in the end zone, they'll get the point. So you'll have teams like a field goal's missed, and then they have to kick the ball out the end zone, and then the other team will try and kick the ball back in the end zone at the end because that one point is what's going to decide the game in that instance. It's some of the most chaotic stuff you'll ever see on a football field when it happens. I imagine, you know, and kind of as I mentioned, with McMaster's having to forfeit the game, one thing that struck me paying attention, I started paying attention to youth sports, lightly I would say, but but you know, with enough familiarity to kind of get more into it. I noticed they are way more tough on ineligible players. I've seen several teams just suddenly wipe out their seasons or wipe out... There was a year in Atlantic University sport where I swear like everything just suddenly shifted midway through the season and I can't remember which team it was, but they had an ineligible player. How... What are the reasons that usually comes up in Canada? I think it's just, um, well, the big thing that sort of lifted it open was about 10 years ago or so, or just over that, there was um, the Waterloo Warriors. They had um, a huge scandal. I can't remember how many of them, but like it was coming out more and more and more that these players were taking like, performance-enhancing drugs. And like they, they, threw the book, they completely threw the book at them. They, um, in Canada, it's... It's much more, let's say, student-athlete with the emphasis on student ahead of athlete. So, um, like, like, sort of cheating at this, like, the cheating and, like, trying to gain these advantages is more, more, much more frowned. I'm not saying it's not frowned upon in the NCAA. I'm, I, I, couldn't comment, I couldn't comment on that. But it's something that they do want to pay a big attention. They do pay a huge attention to in Canada in that, se- in that sense. But, yeah, you're right. It seems to happen almost all the, almost all the time. You think that... Um, I think they get some admin. You think they're teaching that the first day in the job when they get the admin stuff in? You know, so we you talked a bit about the playoffs. So I know there are the two semifinals between the the champions of the four major conferences. 
And I, those are the Mitchell and the UTEC Bowl, am I correct? That is true, yeah, the UTEC Bowl and the Mitchell Bowl. How do they, how do they decide, is it always the same two conferences in each, or do they mix up who plays in each one? It'll mix up all the time. So, for example, this year, the UTEC Bowl will be between the winner of the AUS and Can West. So, say hypothetically, just based on the standings right now, that will be the St. Francis Xavier X-Men, best name in the league, taking absolutely. on the um, absolutely taking on the Saskatchewan Huskies, like just based off the standings. And the Mitchell Bowl right now looks set to be RSEQ versus OUA. So, hypothetically, that's a Montreal Carabins hosting the Western Mustangs. But last year, for example, the winners of the OUA hosted the winners of the AUS. Um, forgive me, I can't remember which bowl it was. But and at the same time, the RSEQ hosted Can West. And it'll change every year. So every every year, a different conference winner will play a different conference winner and they have the chance to host or like be away. Like So it's never like... It's never the same like arrangement two seasons in a row. You know, I gotta, I have to just interject right here, only because you know, we talked about the X Men. I agree. This they were actually, I think, one of the reasons why I even became aware of U Sports. I we were looking to build <laughs> out our logos, and I figured let's build an alphabet and out of logos. And I was trying to figure out who could we use for the letter X who played football because you know there's a couple of colleges in the U.S. but they don't play football. They're they're mm-hmm. basketball programs. And then that's when I found St. FX, and I'm like. Oh, look at this. And they're the X-Men. How incredible is that? It's um, amazing. And then, from the, and then from there, I found other teams like the Dinos, of, you know, the Calgary Dinos, which I actually wanted to ask about. What's going on there? They're usually a really strong team. And last I checked, they're, they're winless. It's, it's shocking for me as well to see. Like, yeah, in 2019, they won the Vanier Cup. They won the last Vanier Cup before COVID came and postponed the season. They've... Like they've been competitive in a couple of the games. Like they um they only lost to Regina by eight points. They lost to Alberta by eleven points. But against Saskatchewan and Manitoba, they got completely destroyed. I think they've had a lot of turnover since twenty nineteen. And like, you know, like the losing the COVID season like didn't help as well. Like there's players who would have been able to play there that didn't play, or people who needed the development who haven't had to have the development. I think it's just a team in a rebuilding mode right now. It's yeah, it's it's strange seeing them this slow down. Typically like they'd be up there with Saskatchewan in terms of like competing for the Hardy Cup in the um Canada West. Um they 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 were poor last year as well, so the rebuild's been really harsh on them. Um it's one to look out for for next year. Last year they, they had a lot of offensive offensive firepower, particularly at wide. They had um the Philpot twins have both gone on to like get drafted into the CFL. That may have been covering some of the cracks, but um, yeah, I'll just have to wait and see because it's, it's not been a good season for them. They've got UBC coming up who are setting up one and three. I imagine like they'll be looking that they'll be targeting that as a game to win. Um, but like looks like it's a, it's going to be a long season for them. You know, bringing up UBC because I remember the Thunderbirds, and that that made me realize I've actually paid attention to U Sports for name. even longer. They had that great year in 2015, where they mm-hmm. uh, they were able to make it all the way through and, and take the Vanier Cup and, and the championship. Is so that made me wonder: is is U Sports football something where teams can bounce back fairly quickly between years, or because also I think, meanwhile, you know, on the other side of the coast, you have a team like Laval, which has been dominant for 
for so long and seem to be building a program structured off of what those here in, you know, down in the United States might Mm -hmm. see from an NCAA program. So is it possible for teams to have some wild swings for a year where they're just terrible to a year that they somehow make a run at the national championship in Canada? Or is that more atypical? There's a little bit of like, uh, there's, there's tears to it. Like they're, you're right. Laval are like one of the big teams, but um, so are Western and Montreal. So like, it depends on the conference, and the RSEQ. Like Laval have just been like the evil empire of the RSEQ ever since their inception, pretty much. Montreal have came into it since about 2014. 2014 was the first time they defeated Laval in the Dunsmore Cup, which is a trophy given to the RSEQ conference winner. Since then, including 2014, they've won four Duns. Dunsmore Cup, so it's a lot more competitive now, but it's just went from a monopoly into a duopoly. Like both these teams basically hammer the opposition McGill, Concordia, and Sherbrooke. There'll be occasional wins, but those two teams are just too dominant for them to break that glass ceiling. The OUE, like um, Western, are like just as good. Like they've been there since 1929, they've been like an outstanding team, like forever, and they they bring the best out of OUA teams. Like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to win the Yates cup, which is the OUA trophy, you got to go through Western. So you have a standard to get to. So you get teams every once in a while, like Queens right now are doing well, McMaster, Guelph, like they'll be able to compete at that level against them. And the, the biggest example, I guess, of like a quick turnaround, because all I can take is just like the right key player. We were talking about the Waterloo Warriors earlier and they're, program was decimated after their um their drug scandal like they went winless for years or rivalry against um, their cross city rivals of uh, wilford laurie and golden hawks was a joke and um i don't know if you're too familiar with a quarterback called trey ford he um he joined waterloo in about 2017 i believe it was and they almost sort of transformed overnight they were winning games they were beating wilfred they were getting to playoffs and winning playoffs so it can be done you look at um, Alberta as well, uh, back out west, Alberta Golden Bears. They have a quarterback this season called Eli Hetlinger, who has just been absolutely slinging it. He's like top five for um, TDs and yards fr- yards thrown in the game. They're doing much better than I thought they would. They upset Manitoba at the start of the season, who are a ranked team. They were a team I wouldn't have expected to make the playoffs, but it looks like they may be making them now. Like it's, I think it depends on the conference you're in, but um, if you get the right player to to commit to you, it, it can definitely be done. You know, as we've been talking about this, gosh, some of the questions keep popping in my mind. But, <laughs> That's okay. You know, so we, how did Laval and Montreal get so good? That's a very good question. So, um, so I got to take it back to about 1995. About 1995, around the time that the um, Quebec Nordiques left to go to Colorado, left um, the city of Quebec with basically nothing sports-wise. At the time, like um, it was noticed that um, like a lot of high school talent was coming out of um, Quebec at the time in football, but there wasn't really any francophone teams playing in Quebec. You had Miguel, who were like they spoke in, they spoke in English. You had you had Ottawa, which was bilingual bilingual but mostly went geared toward English same with Car- same with Carlton and so um what happened was like with the help of uh rich alumni 
Jacques Tanguay. Apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I don't live in the French oh, he's side the of Canada. Guy, isn't he? He's a guy that, he's a... Uh, I think we had one of those chairs when we had a kid. Like it was, it's like the company that makes all of the rocking chairs and all of like the, yes. the, the feeding <laughs> chairs and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like so you've, you've, you've probably funded a Vanier Cup along, somewhere along the way then. Um, <laughs> So um, he put his money where his mouth is. Like he, and with the help of some others, they wanted to put a team in Laval because they wanted somewhere with these um, Quebec francophone players to go and play in a francophone environment to help like nurture the sport in Quebec. And so Laval did a lot of first with the financial benefits they had because of this. You know, they were the first U, first U sports team to have full-time assist, assistance on board. They invested heavily on video technology and editing to be able to look back at game footage. They even take the team to Florida for spring break training. It's a bit unheard of in Canada. Their stadium is like magnificent. The Stad Telus. They can get as many as eighteen thousand fans in there. Which, um, when it's full, like that's that's a lot. And like U Sports, that's that's even like comparable sometimes to CFL numbers. And um. Like they've just been unbe- almost unbeatable since they've had they've won the most Vanier Cups ever. The Vanier Cup's been around since the mid sixties, and Laval's only been around since like the late nineties. So that paints a picture of how dominant they've been. And it's one of these ones where um like you know like success breeds competition. Other um other teams got to see just how well Laval were doing with their francophone approach and thought we want to do some of that. So in the early 2000s, you had um, the Sherbrooke Vertetor um, come around, but you also had the Montreal, Ca- Montreal Carabins as well. And so, well, Laval were able to recruit, obviously, in Quebec City, you know, Montreal's Montreal, you know. <laughs> like, um, that's just a, that's a huge, huge city, a big catchment area too. Their coach in the mid-2000s was Danny Machocha, I believe, who's now the Montreal Alouettes coach and. He played a big part in that, like I said, up until 2014, it was still Laval's conference. Like Montreal weren't even guaranteed to make the Dunsmore Cup final all the time. They turned it around in 2014 and since then they've just been highly consistent. They've only won the, the Vanier Cup once, but they've been there a couple of times. They got there in 2019. They lost the semi-final last year to Saskatchewan in a heartbreaking fashion. And it's just... Games between Montreal and Laval are amongst my favourite games in like Canadian football of all levels to watch, period. It's just so fun. There's always so much on the line. There's fans always show up. It's um a game if you ever get the chance to watch, like you should definitely you should definitely get around to it. Absolutely. Um <laughs> and by the way, I looked it up it's Dutalier. That's the uh that's the furniture company, I believe. Ah, uh, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so if you if anyone's ever bought a chair from Dutelier from Babies of Rust or wherever you're at, you, you've helped fund Laval football. The Rouge Or, I love that it, it's that. And and you pointed out something fascinating too. People might not realize is that a good chunk of those those teams in Quebec they are you know French. So and I assume that means even the players all have to be French speakers because they have to go to class and and all the teaching oh, is yeah. in French. Like they're a francophone university, so I mean like. If I was, for example, to roll in Laval, I'd have a, a very difficult time, at least to begin with. <laughs> I apologize for making this reference, but I have to. But now I'm imagining groundskeeper Willie trying to teach French on The Simpsons. Um, I don't that, know yeah, that's it. very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys. You know, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I, oh, my goodness. Um, 
you know, so going back to sort of this development, um, the stadiums are also kind of passing, and it kind of brings me into an interesting question because I've noticed, and I don't know, is is Laval Stadium is it called Stad Palace or um, or do they do they say it out? Because that they've hosted several Veneer Cups in a row, and but for a while there, they were trying to have the Veneer Cup and the CFL Grey Cup Championship game kind of in the same weekend are they are they trying to break away from that or or was that just an experiment i think um i see a lot of like people involved in football in canada they want to bring that back but i think some of it might just be a logistical thing like for example um if the game was if the venue if the great cup was getting played in bc place it's easy enough for like a team like say the montreal alouettes to go and play saskatchewan there if um, the Montreal Caravans and Saskatchewan Huskies were to get there, it's a bit more harder, I guess, logistically. So they always tend to like play Vanier Cups, at least in my experience as of the last couple of years. They always try to play them more in central Canada. So like this year, it's going to be in Western. They usually do Stad Telus as well. I mean, Quebec City is one of the most beautiful cities in North America as well. So like, why wouldn't you? But um, it's something I think people want. It's just like um, it may not always be um manageable. They used to always play almost in Toronto, like they play them in the Sky Dome and make it a big thing. It's only really been since about two thousand and three that they've um experimented with playing in other places. Like they've played it in Sask- Saskatoon once. They've played it a couple of times in Hamilton. One time it's been in Vancouver, but yeah, I mean since about two thousand and nine. It's never really more than about two years without it being in Quebec City, and um, it's being in London for it's being in London right now for the first time. I'd I'd love it to match up and make it a big festival of Canadian football, but um, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. The next Grey Cup's going to be in Hamilton, so um, perfect excuse to put the Vanier Cup final there too. Why not? For those who are listening, um, they may not be familiar that early in the years of the Grey Cup, it was open to just any team in Canada. So, oh, yes. you know, the, the Varsity Blues of Toronto actually, I believe, won the first three or at least the first couple of them. And I, I don't know if they'll ever play for another championship again. I don't know. Maybe you can explain that to me because <laughs> the University of Toronto, you know, it's a prestigious university and like many of these. And by the way, for, for those who love their trivia, you know, McGill, for example, is one of the teams that started college football, period, or football before there was ever a pro league. I mean, yes, against were, Harvard or Yale. Yeah, with Harvard. And, and they've made claims to say they invented the sport, although I, I do believe Rutgers and Princeton can, can lay claim to that. I think the, the definition then becomes, you know, what Rutgers and Princeton played wasn't really what we consider football now. So the way McGill, I believe, angles it is by the time they got it and they were playing it, it was closer to what we have now. Um, and, and, you know, my favorite part of all of this is the arguments of the rules and the shape of the field and all of these things. And Harvard basically tried to force the question and, and essentially won in the United States by building Harvard Stadium to the specifications <laughs> of their own version of the game. So you couldn't play Canadian rules football or at least what became Canadian rules football in that stadium because it was too narrow. Um, I I think that ended up being the the, the point where we got American football and Canadian football because the rules just you couldn't accommodate it in the American stadiums that were then being built. Thanks to Harvard and their um, hubris, I guess. Um, But 
what happened to you, Toronto? That, I think now that's like kind of after seeing all that, I really want to ask, what happened to them? Like, um, so Toronto have been there from the beginning, and from the beginning, there wasn't that many teams. So, like, for the longest time, they were competing just against Queens, Miguel, and Western. And when you're playing those, like, smaller leagues, you're bound to, like, win eventually, right? I mean, look at the Leafs. Like, that's when they used to win Stanley Cups when there wasn't that many teams there. They're, um, like, in the Vanier Cup era, like, the I mean, they've won two Vanier Cups, which is nothing to be ashamed, nothing to be ashamed of. But they they won a couple of Yates Cups from the six, couple in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. But um, yeah, I mean, like I, I wasn't around, let's say, in the early nineties. But like the program for sure fell off a cliff. I think part of it as well is just um, the OUA is very competitive and cutthroat. Eleven teams, there's only six spots, so um, teams don't go eat. Teams don't go easy on teams. Like you only have to look at York this year to see that that teams don't take mercy on you. From um, two thousand and two to two thousand and eight, they didn't win a single game. <laughs> they um, last year was the first time they made the playoffs. Like this millen- this millennium, the program is getting turned around. They had a surprising win earlier on this year against uh, Carlton Ravens. They've defeated York. They were a lot more competitive against a very good queen side that people thought they would be. So there's definitely hope that they're turning things around there. It is a shame because, like I said, it's a very historical program. Like, they've won four Grey Cups. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have won four Grey Cups, you know? Like, they're just as good as them. And um, I, I'd i love to see Toronto getting good. I'd love to see Toronto and York getting good good again, just like it's a, it's a city that's kind of been football-deprived in that sense. And... It's it would be great for U Sports as a whole. I can't really put my finger on something that like caused it to crash, but um, yeah, playing in a really competitive OUA certainly doesn't help when you have the likes of Western Queens, Laurier, McMaster all like at your throat every year. So is I mean one thing I did observe when I started paying attention to especially playoff football in Canada. Is for a while there, it seemed whatever team got the AUS champion had a had a almost a walkover win in yeah. the semifinal. <laughs> I mean, I still remember when Laval crushed Santa Fe, like it was like sixty three to zero. Um, <laughs> you're kind of like, okay, so they, there's an FCS opponent um, heading into the playoffs. I mean, to be fair, and you know, we again we we follow college football everywhere. And in Japan, you see the same thing. They have a playoff. There's really only two real conferences. And then the other little conferences join in, so it turns into, you know, not to, to be cliche, but it literally turns into two, like Godzilla and, and, and Rodan just running through all these little guys. And then they play in the, in the championship game in Japan every year. They kind of still go through the motions. But for Canada, I mean, it's weird to see at times there's three strong conferences in one week one. Has there been any bounce back for that conference, or was that something that has been endemic? It's actually relatively new. Um, so as, in 2007, that was the last time that an AUS team made the Vanier Cup. That was the St. Mary's Huskies. And the St. Mary's Huskies actually, for like a lot of the 2000s, were a, very competi- were a very competitive team. They won the Vanier Cup in 2001, 2002. They made it in 2003 and 2007. So like, I guess you can make the argument that they were propping the AUS the AUS up in those years, like um, they're making it look better than they were. But I mean, other teams from the AUS were winning the Vanier Cup, like as well. Like um, I don't know 
where it came, why it stopped. I think I think it was a case of St Mary's honestly like propping it up as in the two thousands. A big part of it is like you only just have to look at the the geopolitical makeup of Canada, like um of the three four regions, AUS is the one with by far the lowest population density. And so like off the bat you have a much there's not as much recruit room for recruitment there. And it's hard to compete against those bigger teams in Toronto or Montreal, you know, like you're a kid like leaving home for the first time, you get that chance like, oh, where do you wanna like from Nova Scotia, do you wanna stay here or do you wanna go in, over to Ontario or Montreal? You're like, Yeah, let's let, let's go somewhere afar. A lot of the coaches um in recent years as well kinda get nabbed as well. Like there was a promising coach in um the AUS who's like now playing who's now with Queens. There's a lot more um instability more more instability in those positions. Like the, the teams that always do the best are typically the teams who have um had the same coach the same coaches for the longest years. And it could just be a cultural thing as well. Like there's no CFL teams like in that AUS region. Like they're trying to get one in Halifax, but they've just never been get it off their grounds. Where there's like you can see a few teams all over Quebec, Ontario and Canada West. So it's much more of a footballing sense there. Like the biggest city the biggest um stadium in AUS is like nothing compared to the biggest stadiums in OUA, RSAQ and Canada West, especially Canada West because um, some of their teams use CFL stadiums. Is it something I think will change? Um, maybe not in the short run. St. Francis um, X-Men are looks like the cream of the crop in that um in that conference now, but last year they played um Western in the semi-final and they just they got completely obliterated. It was basically a glorified bye. And I'm not really sure how sustainable that is because you're like a team that plays the AUS, it's it's a bit of a dirty thing to talk about at the higher level, but like it is effectively a bye at this point. And so um, I, d- I don't know what the alternative is there, whether you merge the AUS with RSEQ or get like the, the next best team or something to play the AUS winner before the semi-final. But um, I, in an ideal world, I'd like to see them get to that level again, but it's just, I, I don't see it in the near future. You know, I know, obviously, you, as you've said, you didn't grow up in Canada and go through the process of, you know, what have anyone, know anyone who necessarily went through the process of recruitment but how do teams in, in these university football programs build their talent pool? How are they recruiting? Or at least what do you know? I mean, is this something where – because occasionally we'll see some college prospects, I've heard some university prospects in the United States who came out of Canada. You presu- I, you know, we presume they're really good if, if they got the attention of whatever university, usually typically northern universities, um, have attracted them. But how do they build and how do they recruit? Uh, yeah, that's a very that's a very good question for someone who went to high school in Scotland to try to answer. But um, I know, like in terms of recruitment tool, that's a big part of why um Simon Fraser Redleafs are in the NCAA. They wanted to try and um pin themselves as um the um Canada's team in the NCAA as like you know a tool to get like players in the NCAA. You get American eyes on you, American skip. American scouts increase your chance of reaching the NFL because um the the see it you can make the NFL from U Sports. There's a couple of players who have done it before. Yeah, but, the, um, the, typically, there was that gentleman from McGill, I believe, who was a doctor who was oh um, Laurent Dobanetadif. Yeah. Yes, 
Yeah, he's probably like a po- he's a poster child, I guess. Like I said, he played for, <laughs> no, he played for Miguel. His entire background. He's a poster child for any category he fits in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one of these guys probably just wakes up and like puts his mind to something and just does it. <laughs> one of those ones. Um, so yeah, that's um, Simon. That's Simon Fraser's mo. Um, the yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like I went to school in Scotland, so I'm not really sure. Um, well, yeah, I have another question for you. Let me follow up on this. So one okay. thing Canada has is you know major football league, and mm-hmm. you know, and and also, and I don't know if that's related to the amateur football in Canada. Is that something that attracts to, you know, potential people who might go in, and how does, how does it relate to youth sports? Are you allowed to participate in both or is that a no go? It depends on the sport. So when it comes to football, like you can't play CFL and youth sports at the same time, you have to be drafted and like move up like in the NFL. But um, I know when it comes to soccer, what they do with youth sports, they have like a deal with the CPL. So, you get drafted by a CPL team, but and you can play for the CPL team during the summer, like effectively during the months where um, you're not at college. But when college comes around, you go back to your youth, you go back to your youth sports team. So, for example, there's um, a player called Colin Gander who, um, I believe, he goes to the University of Guelph, and he was drafted by the Halifax Wanderers. So he played for the Halifax Wanderers in the summer months. Comes to the comes to August, end of August, he's going to leave Halifax Wanderers, his professional team, to go back to his youth sports team. And then when he's finished at college, Halifax has the rights for him, like to be able to keep him signed on as a player. The real poster boy for that, I guess, would be, because um, the CPL is relative, relatively new. It's only been around since 2019, this path, this that pathway sort of thing. Joel Waterman went from youth sports to CPL to MLS to the Canadian national team. So, that's pretty fun, but I do know that I'm um Canadian junior football, so that's like um somewhere I guess between like U Sports and CFL maybe it's like some sort of it's like a semi professional league. You're allowed to play in the Canadian Junior Football League and be U and be U Sports because the seasons don't cross paths. The Canadian Junior Football League's in the summer and the U Sports is obviously in the fall months. That's another reason why the AUS struggles as well, because they don't have a Canadian Junior Football League team. That's fascinating. I couldn't imagine what that would be like in the U.S. if you had players who could go compete basically year-round in football. Basically, yeah. Yeah, and and, because it's like a minor league almost. You know, I mean, I don't want to – I don't know if – obviously there's a lot of nuance to to calling it a minor league. But but it's fascinating to see, because I remember years ago reading that there was a player – and somebody was trying to explain to me why Calgary that year was doing so well. It's like, well, their guy, he just he had a great season in what must have been this junior football league. And someone explained to me, it's like, yeah, it's like as long as you're – I think there was like an age requirement or something. They could then go play in a semi-pro or an amateur league and then come back and play their college football season. And it didn't affect eligibility at all, which – Not at all, no. That's <laughs> – can you imagine that? I couldn't imagine what that would be like for here in the United States. That would be an utterly fascinating aspect to it. You know, you touched on Simon Fraser because they're an interesting program. I know years ago they they were NAIA, which um, has always had kind of a little bit more uh, open rules in terms of qualifications. While the NCAA for the longest time didn't allow anyone who wasn't uh, you had to be in a, a United a United States based university until. Simon Fraser got an exception and they sort of did a test run with them. 
So they were in U Sports when I, because U Sports changed names not all that long ago. It used to be CIS, uh, I believe it was Collegiate Inner, something. Oh gosh, I forgot what. It I, was. I've got it for you if you want to give it a try, and I can tell you. Yeah. So um, Canadian Inter University Sports. That was it. Yeah, I remember because it, it threw me off because the C, you know, being from the United States, you assume it's college. But yeah, it was Canadian Inter yeah. University. Because again, <laughs> as we went over that. University college tends to blur a line in, especially in the Commonwealth, um, <laughs> to not to say just Canada. So they tend to stick with the word university. So that was it, Canadian University sport. But so then Simon Fraser journeyed out and into the NCAA. And they've had, you know, uh, as a D2 school, middling uh, success. But part of the thing I found fascinating was they're going to bring back the Shrumble. Could you tell us about that? Oh, yes. This is a lot of fun. So, um, so Simon Fraser are based in BC and the sort of Vancouver metro area. And that's obviously where the UBC, University of British Columbia, Thunderbirds are. And um, they'll play each other somewhat every couple of years when they tr- when they can. Like, I think the first one of these they did was in the 60s and do, do them throughout every couple of years. And they'd always switch the rules. So like one year they'd be playing with American rules. The other they'd be playing with Canadian, the Canadian rules. The only and um so like all through the seventies, eighties, nineties, up until the two thousands and when the two teams got put into U Sports together, the playoff and the shri- the playoff and the Shroom Bowl, it'd either be held in a Terry Fox Field or Thunderbird Stadium. And um the records are the records pretty close. SFU have won seventeen games, um UBC have won fifteen, the tap and with one game being tied. The reason it's coming back now, because it hasn't been played since two thousand and ten. A big part of it is to do with the BC Lions CFL team. Their owner is really keen on um, building BC Lions as part of the fabric in Vancouver. It's a mark. It's a team that desperately needs to grow its market more, and so they've put money towards um, basically putting on a sh- basically putting this game on between Simon Fraser and the UBC Thunderbirds. It's going to be played on December second, so it'll be after the season. Both teams' seasons are done, so it doesn't interfere in any way. And it's going to be played with American rules at Terry Fox Field. And the hope is to bring it back in 2023 as well with Canadian rules. So I almost find it like almost like a sort of like battle between Canadian and American rules, you know, to like see which is like, which is bit, which is kind of better in a way at that at that level. I don't really think there's any, I can't imagine anything else. Like I've never known games like this before where they're like, Switch between American and Canadian games, like in the series, usually it's just you know Canada Canadian rules, America American rules. So this is this is very unique in that sense. You know, if they really wanted to make it chaotic, they should flip a coin before the game on which rules they're <laughs> going to actually use. That would I'd be I'd be down for that. <laughs> oh goodness! You know, we've touched a little bit about some of these rivalries. I know we Ottawa Carlton is coming up. Can you tell us? Oh about yes. This game? Um, I know this is a visual podcast, but I'm rubbing my hands right now talking about this one. The Panda game goes back to the 50s, and it's basically the closest thing Canada has to an to a big Division One NCAA American atmosphere and spectacle. The game is always played at TD Place Stadium, otherwise known as Lansdowne, Lansdowne Park in Ottawa. It's always full. So roughly about twenty five thousand fans are there. To put that in some context, like um, the 
the higher end of the average you'll usually get in new sports attendance wise, maybe about seven thousand, with Laval being an outlier again, about ten thousand plus. But this game always sells out, and it's always very, 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 very rowdy. It's like something of American Pie. It's just like everyone's completely wasted and drunk. It's all young people just having utter chaos. Like there'll be <laughs> like um. A, the Ottawa basically gets turned upside upside down on game night with police. You know, I just I just want to add because when I was looking up to this week's game, I just wanted to add there's a CB Canadian Broadcasting Company, CBC headline: mm-hmm. Police to ramp up presence at Panda game with aim <laughs> to prevent chaos. That yes, is the actual headline. But I, that, that, I just keep going. I just wanted to add that to your your conversation. Yeah, yeah I was gonna I was gonna mention that there. Like, so they're really trying to tone that down but like this game has like some it does have notorious history with things with um things like that i think the most the most notorious thing was like um at some point in the mid 80s the concourse that um a couple of fans were leaning against actually kind of like fell off and they fell onto the state fell onto the onto the field where they were getting worked on on the opposition fans were throwing like beer and like beer and stuff at them it nearly it nearly killed the game essentially <laughs> and um it's always a tradition where um, the fans will always run onto the field when the game is done, like the the winning team. And 2014, I think it was. So Carlton's football program was shut down from 1998 to 2013, and they hadn't beaten Ottawa in about 20 years at this point. They were losing really late on. Like they had one last drive to get like I don't know a touch a touchdown to win the game, and 60 yard hail mary. Ball gets thrown by the backup QB because he has the cannon arm compared to the normal QB. Go, ball goes to an Ottawa corner. He goes to intercept it. It tips off him into the hands of the cult of the Carlton player who runs it in for a touchdown. And um, everyone's going mental. The game doesn't even technically finish. Like they're still going to kick the extra point, but they they never kick the extra point just because like there's too many fans on the field. Everything was going wild. I'm pretty sure people were trying to like shake the the goalposts off, <laughs> take bits of the goalposts home with them. The city of Ottawa basically turns into like a big party for young people when the Panda Games going on. That is awesome. I mean, and, and <laughs> Ottawa is not a small town. I, I've been there. It's, uh, I mean, obviously it's the capital of the, of the country, but I mean, it's it's a big city to suddenly have. And they love the football just, there. Yeah, they do. You know, and it's so funny because I know obviously you cover soccer as well this is something that's almost like getting into the kind of uh i don't want to say hooliganism but you know it's getting a it's, little bit it's along those lines yeah like um i've been like speaking as an outsider like i'm um, a lot of the canadian rivalries are a bit tamer than you get in europe but like the all oh, occulted one is one where i'm like as like a european football fan i'm like oh well i gotta get myself there at some point <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I wanted to and sort of gradually wrap this up. Can you tell us a little bit about again what you do um, in your writing, in your uh, and, and as well as your podcast as well? Yeah, so um, for those who may be paying attention to this and the speak, you'll see that my name is FC Thirteen Canadian Canadian Soccer Podcast. <laughs> um, so, like, my bread and butter is soccer. You know, I'm British. Like, you're you're born with a ball at your foot and you kick it into a goal right out of birth, and. Um, I wanted to basically harness my hobby into something Canadian, like give to like get back to this country in any way I can to I just help people like um learn about the sport, 
well, like I say, learn. We usually it's usually just like we chat away and laugh. Or we're trying to be entertaining more than insightful. We'll talk about the CPL, MLS, international games, both men and women. We also tried to cover lower leagues in Canada as well, League One can like League One level. So that's a level below CPL. The writing side is something I've been doing for just under a year now. 30, like 13-man sports, we're looking for sports writers. I was unemployed at the time because I was waiting on my permanent residency application to come through. So I took the plunge to do it. It's been a lot of fun just writing about things here, here and there. It started off just CFL. Gradually, I've pushed the boat out and I've talked more about soccer. On the site, we all we talk about like almost everything at some point. I think we've even done articles about curling before and basketball and baseball. We're we're trying to grow. We're trying to grow little by little, and it's getting there. And, um, we're all looking forward to the World Cup. Um, I'm probably going to have a lot of sleepless nights having to write things up, whether for the podcast or articles because of that. But um, yeah, it's um something that comes around every four years, so I'll have to make the most of it. Well, thanks so much, Paul. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning so much about new sports and football in Canada. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And I probably should mention that every week I do a top 10 ranking as well in your sports. So if you're looking to see who the best teams are in your sports, go to the experts first and then come to my article. <laughs> I'll have my top 10 list there. Excellent. Well, thanks again. And thanks to all of you who listened. This was RCFB Talk 83. My name is Bob Akairi. We had Paul from to talk about football, university football in Canada. Thank you all for listening. Now I'm going to hang up and listen. <laughs>